This morning what I want to do is I want to talk about what it's like to have power and weakness. How do we navigate our life in such a way that even when we pray for something, because let's face it, I mean, we're, we've all been there before. I mean, how many times have you and I prayed for something and we're praying for God to move, we're praying for God to do something powerful, we need a miracle, we need an answer, we need healing, we need reconciliation, we need God to do something, and so we pray. But what happens when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you think he should answer them? What happens when you're exhausted and you pour your heart out to God and you are broken and then you feel nothing? Has anybody been there before? There's probably a lot of you that are there today. I want to bring you some hope today, though. See, Paul does this very thing. So I love this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 7 to 10 this morning because what Paul does is he basically spells out the same exact thing. He spells out what it's like to, to know that God has allowed something to happen in your life, to ask God to remove it from you, to ask God to heal and set you free from it, to be delivered from it, and then God's answer is, nope, you're going to live with that, and my grace is going to be enough for you. So what happens in our life when that's the answer? How, how do we respond to that? Because if we respond the right way, what happens is that we allow that weakness to turn into strength. And we allow Christ to be glorified and magnified in and through our life in such a way that you not only fix and heal your life, but you could fix and heal and see God fix and heal the life of people all around us through our very weaknesses. So I'm going to start reading here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It will be up on the screen as well in the lower thirds for you online. It says it this way. It says, so to keep me, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Now watch this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's a powerful verse. As I said, I'm sure we've all been there before. We've all prayed for God to do something in our life, to remove something from our life, to heal, to deliver, to give us an answer. And again, what happens though? What happens when we feel as though God doesn't hear that or answer it the way that he should? Today, in just a few minutes, I want to talk to us and give us three points to consider about how we can actually have power and weakness. How do we actually turn that, maybe that frustration or that, that pain, how do we turn that sorrow, that disappointment, how do we actually turn that so that it's actually a power and acknowledges Christ's power in our life instead of just something we're frustrated over or a weakness that we have? So point number one is this. Point number one, a God-given thorn. Let's start there. This passage is very, very fascinating to me. As we read it again, just real quickly in verses 7 to 10, just, real, just a few of those verses, Paul's saying, so to keep me from being conceited because of the great revelations I got from God, a thorn was given me in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Let's just start where Paul started from. Paul starts from this place of recognizing that no one is immune to pride. No one is immune to just pride. Even, even those that are doing great things for God like Paul. Paul is saying, listen, I've, I've gotten great revelation from God. In order to keep me humble, God has allowed and God has given me a thorn in my flesh to remind me of my weakness. Humility. Pride. It's amazing to me that even Paul is writing this. And Paul is writing this going, I don't want to be prideful. So God has allowed this to happen to me. So even when we do things for God... It's amazing how quickly we can get prideful. It's amazing how quickly, if Pastor Sivan's not careful, how prideful it could come in and be like, wow, look at all I've done in just a short time I've been at Crossroads. Look at how cool this student ministry is. It's, it's easy to do that, right? Pastor Dan could do it. Wow, look, PhD, married, three kids, and I've written a book. How awesome am I? And we can all do that in areas of our life, can't we? It's, 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 it's a hard, easy trap to fall into. I look what scripture says about pride. It calls it out Galatians 6.3. It says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. To recognize who we are, Proverbs 11.2 says it this way, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humble comes wisdom. See, there's, there's great humility in knowing where our strength comes from. So let's talk about that thorn for a moment. A thorn in the flesh. Do you notice that, that God allowed this or gave this to Paul? It's a thorn. What is it in your life that's your thorn? I want to start tying this together because everybody in this room, whether you're a student, whether you're retired, what is it in your life right now that you're just saying, God, will you please just do this in my life? Will you just answer this? What is that thorn that God is allowing to happen in your life? See, so it kind of brings up the, the universal question that everybody likes to talk about. Why does God allow pain and suffering to happen? Why is, it, why is there pain and suffering to happen? And so here we have Paul, wrote the majority of the New Testament. Great man of God, and yet even with him, God allows this thorn to happen in his life. See, the Greek word for thorn, it actually translates to, similar to like a tent peg, a big tent peg. That's being driven into him. That, that's, the, that's the wording that Paul is using. That this is a stake, it's a big peg, it's being driven, it's sharp, it's used to point, right? It's, it's, it's harmful. And then Paul says that even though God has allowed this, then he brings in the accuser. And this is where the enemy does for us. The accuser of your soul. See, then he says that a messenger of Satan then comes. In other words, a messenger of Satan has come to beat Paul down over this thorn. Now, we don't know what the thorn in Paul's flesh is. It's never said in Scripture. And I think one of the reasons why it's not noted in Scripture is so we don't get fixated on the thorn, but rather we get fixated on the grace that God's given him and the strength out of the thorn. And I think it's the same way in our life, isn't it? See, we can get so fixated on the problem that we forget that God's grace is sufficient. We get so fixated on the issue at hand or the bad report or the fear, whatever it is that's consuming us, and we lose sight that God is bigger. Come on, church. God is bigger than anything that we're going to face in life, and we're not careful. The enemy wants us to get us just looking at the thorn. That's all he wants to do. Look at the thorn. Pay attention to the thorn. Pay attention to the issue. And that's when the enemy of your soul loves to whisper things like, hey, if God was so powerful, why, why can't he remove this from you? Come on, if God loved you so much, why is he allowing 
this pain to happen in your life. Has anybody heard those whispers before? So what happens when God whispers back? And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. So it's also fascinating about this, the, the Greek word for harassed here. Very fascinating word that Paul uses. It translates to being hit in the face with a fist. It translates to be hitting with knuckles hard. Now again, whether or not this is somebody who's actually harassing Paul physically, or if it's an ailment he has, either way, what Paul is saying is that God has, has given me something that is uncomfortable. And it feels like I'm just getting wailed on in the face over and over and over and over again. And to our knowledge, God never removed this thorn from Paul's flesh. But again, how, if we're not careful, we can spend so much time fixated on the thorn and we feel like the waves just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. And I think there's probably things in our life, in our past, and maybe even you're dealing with them this morning where you feel like you are just being repeatedly beat up. Anybody feel that way? You're just beat up. The world's beating you up. Culture's beating you up. Your neighbor's beating you up. Work's beating you up. Kids. I mean, it could go on and on and on. And at times, what the enemy loves to do is get us fixated just on the problem. Pay attention to the problem and forget that there's a God that's bigger than everything we face. So I think the recognizing part is the first part of this. Do you recognize this morning... Where is that point? Where's the point in your life today that the enemy, the messenger of Satan, just whispers in your ear that you're not good enough? Whispers in your ear the regrets and the sins of the past. Whispers in your ear your weaknesses that God very much wants to use as strengths, but the enemy just call weakness. So what do we do? So now what do we do when we know and we recognize that maybe there's something in our life that for whatever reason God is allowing to happen? And because it's happening in our life now, the enemy of our very soul has seen it, has latched onto it, and you just feel kind of like what Paul says, that you are just being harassed. You're just being wailed on over and over and over and over again to the point where you start to lose faith and trust in God. Where do we go from there? Well, let's just follow what Paul did. The first starting point is this. The starting point is always prayer. Always. Church, our starting point for whatever we're dealing with in life is not to run and try to figure it out ourselves first. It's not to try to exhaust all of our options. It's not to try to go and, and just do. Starting point has got to be prayer. Come on, can I hear amen, somebody? It's got to be prayer. That is where the source of our strength is. That is where our connection is. That is where power comes from. That is where wisdom comes from. But how often, again, do we feel, maybe we feel betrayed. Maybe we feel frustrated. Maybe you feel abandoned by God sometimes. And so maybe the last thing you want to do is pray. Paul starts with prayer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, it says this way, that Paul pleaded with God three times for him to take this thorn away. That terminology pleaded, it's intimate. It's not, Paul just didn't flippantly ask God, hey God, by the way, if you get a chance, I really would love for you to remove this thorn away from me. It was much more passionate than that. He cried out to God. He pleaded to God. The terminology used there is that he was up close and personal to God. This is a personal thing that Paul was dealing with. And Paul obviously understands that prayer starts first. 
In fact, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, a great reminder in Paul's own words he's putting into practice. He's saying, do not be anxious about anything. But he says this, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So in all things, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this is the result. When we start with prayer, listen to this, so important. When we start with prayer and we give all our requests and thanksgiving to God, when we start there, the result, it says, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, when we start with prayer, it allows God that opportunity to come and to answer and provide peace in our life. And a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it could be something that you're dealing with right now in your life. And it's very heavy and it's very big. That you and I have access to this peace that actually doesn't make sense at all. That it really shouldn't make sense that we have that much peace over this area of our life because it's this thorn in our flesh that just keeps jabbing and jabbing and jabbing. And maybe it's something horrifically huge in your life. But to know that we have peace. And there's this tension between faith and frustration, isn't there? there? There's this constant tension between those two things. That we can have faith and then real quickly we can get real frustrated. We can have faith that says, God, I trust you, I believe in you, I surrender all. We can go on the whole path and we feel it and mean it. And then we get real frustrated. And there's this, this tension between those two things. Paul felt this tension. He felt it in a huge way. He says, three times I pray for God to take this away from me and he didn't do it. Three times. You know, when I read about that, I, I immediately thought, you know, it's Easter week. Um, I think Easter week speaks differently to different people. You know, you kind of resonate with different things throughout Palm Sunday and throughout the week and Good Friday and the cross and the empty tomb. There's a part of the Easter hope week that has always stuck out to me and it reminded me greatly of this as I was reading this again. And it's when Jesus is alone in the garden. You want to talk about prayer first and the results of prayer. You go to Jesus in the garden. He's just been betrayed by Judas, so Judas is the betrayer. Judas leaves and runs out. He brings a few disciples with him to go to the garden to stay a little bit further. Stones throw away is what the Bible says. And, and just to stay awake and to stay on guard. They end up falling asleep. And, and Jesus is there in the garden alone. That encounter that Jesus and the Father has resonates so strongly with me. You see both the humanity side of Jesus and the godly side of him. Jesus is in the garden and it says that he is praying so intently that what most people would say is that he's bursting blood vessels in his face. That's how intense he is. Jesus knows that in just a few hours that he's going to be taken. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be beaten. And ultimately he's going to hang on a cross to suffocate to death for hours. And Jesus in these final moments, just picture this, it's late at night. He's in a garden. And Jesus utters these words that, I don't know, they bring comfort somehow to our situation. Very similar to Paul. Where Jesus utters the word to his father to take this cup from him. Do you know that at that moment, what Jesus was asking is Jesus was asking God for plan B. Knowing what the cross had in store for Jesus in one final mode and one final conversation with the Father, he looks to the Father and says, hey, if there's some other way that this can happen, 
right now would be a good time to step in. Similar to Paul, pleaded with the Father. But then Jesus quickly turns the narrative when Jesus says, but not my will be done, but your will be done. There's this surrendering and peace that happens when we pray. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The cross and the process of him going and dying on the cross was not a joyful experience. So what is the joy? Well, the joy is knowing the why. Understanding the plan that the Father has was joyful. And so Paul, very much like Jesus in the same way, pleads and begs for God to take this away from him. God's response is probably not what Paul wanted. Which brings us to the third and final point this morning is this, and that is power and weakness. Power and weakness. Hang with me for just a few minutes. I want to bring this home this morning in such a, a powerful way for, for all of us of how we can actually find power and weakness. So just track your story and your journey. There's something in your life that you're praying for. You're wondering where God is, why God isn't answering. He's not answering in a way that maybe you think he should answer. And if we fixate on the thorn, we fixate on the problem, it becomes a very much a weakness in our life and a stumbling block and frustration. Or, or we allow God to make it a strength. It says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just two verses, 9 and 10. This is God's response to Paul saying, Lord, take this away from me. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul says, well, then therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content in my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. And this is the line that we all know, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So again, what happens? What happens when we pray and God doesn't answer it the way we hope? What happens when we pray for God to heal and God doesn't heal? What happens when we pray for an answer and for a miracle and we feel like it's not being answered the way that it answers? See, God would answer Paul in the way that he probably wanted him to answer. God did not remove the thorn. But instead, instead of focusing on the thorn, God focuses on his grace. And in his grace, there's also power. See, the importance of God's grace. See, a couple things about God's grace that I think equip us to turn us a weakness into a strength, to turn a thorn into a testimony, is that God's grace, it's unending. It never ends. Whatever you're going through today, it's not as though God's grace is going to end a week from now or a month from now or five years from now. God's grace is always powerful. It is unending. God's grace is sufficient. In other words, if at the end of the day, God does not answer your prayer or your need or that miracle in the way that you want it, can you and I stand with our heads held high, acknowledging that God's grace is sufficient even in the time of pain, even in the time of sorrows, God meet us where we are. See, because God's grace, it's exactly what we need when we need it. God knows our needs. In fact, the scripture says that God knows if he cares about the birds of the air and, and on and on, don't you think he knows and recognizes what you need? God knows what we need and his grace steps in with those needs. 
It's God's way of saying that he's with you and that he's got you. Last week we talked about God's got it, meaning your circumstance, but how many also know that God's grace means that he has you? You, just, just you. Your circumstance, your life, everything about you, he has you. And when you and I are completely dependent on God's grace in our life, it's at that point that his power can work through us. It's at that point that Paul heard that. He said, okay, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and Paul said, okay, well then, hey, then in that grace, then, then let my weakness become a power. Let my weakness become a power. Let Christ be magnified and glorified through my weaknesses. It's about turning those thorns into strengths. It's about turning that contentment into testimonies in our life where we can say, this is who I know God is despite the thorn, despite the circumstance, despite what's going on in my life or in the world around me, that there is strength in knowing that we are weak before God. So with that, I want to close a certain way today. I would love for you all to stand with me this morning. So we're going to stand to your feet. And I'm going to walk us through just a few questions here at the end. And, and I want to pray just for you. I want to pray for you. Because right now, if you right now aren't going through something, how I many you know you're probably going to go through something in the future? And it might be something big. It might be something small. But chances are there's probably a lot of you that are praying for God for something, for something. And maybe you're at the point, or maybe you've already passed the point where you've kind of given up even on prayer anymore. It's like, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, God didn't answer, I guess God doesn't care. Or is it that God is just saying, no, my, my grace is sufficient for you. That's an area in your life that I actually want to become strong in. I want to let my strength come in there. So here's a couple of questions. I'd love for you just to close your eyes for a moment. I want you just to think about this. The first one is simply this. What are things in your life right now, whether it's one thing or many things, that you are praying for, for God to answer, to take away, to show up, or to perform a miracle in? Just think about that for a moment. Just in your life, what are you praying for? Where do you need God to show up? The second part of that is this. Are you willing to release that and allow God's grace to cover you in that area? Are you willing today to surrender that to God? Your frustrations, your hopelessness, discouragement, even your good things, the hopes you have for the future, your dreams. Are you willing this morning just to submit that to God and say, God, However you answer, your grace is sufficient. However you answer this need I have, your grace is sufficient for me. And one final thought and question, then I want to pray. In what ways can you see whatever you're going through now becoming a strength and glorifying Jesus? In other words, how do you allow whatever you're going through today to become a strength. To allow God to say, I've got you, I've got this. How can Christ be glorified through it? So I think when we start thinking that way, it all of a sudden gets the attention off of the thorn and gets the attention on the God of the universe. And whether God answers your prayer request in the way you think he is or not, 
does not make God wrong and it does not mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he's not answering your prayer. It's kind of one of those things that's either going to make you better or it's going to make you bitter. And the enemy would love to make your struggles make you bitter. God wants to use them to make you better. And so I want to pray for you right now. God, right now we come before you as a congregation here and online and Lord, we recognize that there's things in our life right now today that we are dealing with. There's something in this room that everybody's praying for. And it could be something that seemingly is small and it could be something that is so huge that God, they have no idea how and what the answer is going to look like. And so Lord, at the end of it all, though, we just pray that you would allow us to trust you that we can say that however you choose to answer our prayers, that we can say that your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is enough. And in saying that, we can then allow those areas of weakness, those areas of sorrow, of disappointment, that God, that you can turn those into strengths in our life, that we can actually become better and stronger, not for our own sake, but Christ, that you are magnified through it. So Lord, I pray as we search our hearts even again right now at the end of this morning that you would just begin to pull through your Holy Spirit those things at the surface of our life for us to recognize, for us to surrender to you again because God, we want you to be magnified in all that we do. It doesn't mean that the journey is not tough. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean it's not gut-wrenching. But Lord, I pray that you allow us to keep our eyes focused on you and that we would truly live like your grace is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name, amen.